Good morning. We're reading from Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and churn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew. 
Uh, Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us in Matthew 7. And God, as we approach this, God, I just pray that uh, the words of Isaiah would would just uh, sink into our hearts, God, that the one that you esteem, the person that you esteem is one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at your word. And so, God, we pray that today as we listen to your word, it might sink deep into our hearts. Lord, help me to preach this in a way that honors you. We pray that in your name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, how many of you with all of the thawing out and, and melting and freezing have, uh, have found it quite slippery? Yeah? Little, uh, opportunities to lose your footing? Um, my friend Gerald, you know him, he's a worship director here. Um, he, he does a lot of walking, and he, and he was talking to me this week, and he said, you know, uh, when we're walking, if we're focused and sure of our foundation, if we're focused on our foundation, we're usually okay in this kind of weather. But if we get distracted and we're walking and we pull out our phones, that's when it gets dicey. That's when we can end up like this guy right here, turned over, wiped out. Uh, and he's right. When we focus on our foundation. When we focus on what the right thing, uh, where our life is actually, what it's built on, uh, then our identity and our purpose finds sure footing. And now in the sermon on in, in Matthew 5, Pastor Dave pointed out that what was happening in the Sermon on the Mount was that Jesus was preaching a message, uh, not just of basic principles, but an actual sermon to an audience. And he knew who his audience was, um, set against the backdrop and a mountain by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is talking to people whose idea of religious leaders is Pharisees and scribes. And Dave summarized Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the past century, and this is what he said. Jesus deliberately criticized the Pharisees and the scribes and their teaching. Now, they were the acknowledged leaders and religious teachers, and everyone was prepared to do what they said. But suddenly... Here was a man who did not belong to their schools, who not only taught, but also denounced their authoritative teaching on the laws of Israel. He preached the extraordinary doctrine of grace. But even worse, he mixed with publicans and sinners, sitting down and eating with them. In his words, he criticized their official teaching, and in practice, he did the same. And now Jesus is saying to people in this passage, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Jesus' teaching is greater than the teachers of the law. In fact, Jesus is not just a prophet explaining the law even. Jesus is far greater because he is actually the lawgiver. He is actually redefining what it means to be righteous, even for the Pharisees. So Jesus' message has to be read in the context of that, not taken out of it. But we found that over the past couple weeks, that this text, this sermon, it really speaks to us. So at the end here in the Sermon on the Mount, in both Luke 6 and especially here in Matthew 7, Jesus ends by basically saying, okay, in summary, I put before you two ways. There are two paths. One leads to life, the other leads to destruction. There are two trees. One is good, One is bad. There are two houses. 
One is built on the rock, and one is built on sand. Now, as we look at how Jesus describes these two ways, we get four warnings and images. And each of these warnings and images, on the surface, when not closely examined, they might look the same. Uh, let's take a look at each of these. The first are the gates. One is a narrow gate, and one is wide. Both are gates, and both have roads leading to them. But the broad road is going to lead to destruction. The people traveling that road are destroyed, and the other one leads to life. Then there are true and false prophets. And he describes the, the false prophets as wolves in sheep clothing. But he uses trees to picture them. See, one of these trees has good fruit, and the other has bad fruit. Uh, the bad fruit is buckthorn and thistles, not grapes or figs. You know, the, a buckthorn looks quite similar to a grape, actually. Quite similar to a grape, but it's poison. And a thistle, I mean, you can't eat it like a fig. From far away, it might look the same, but not, not when you actually get to cutting it up and eating it. They look similar, but nobody's going to mistake them when it comes time to eat. Then there are true and false disciples. Uh, now, this is the most frightening one of all. Both of these disciples think that they've got it. But when one group says, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and in your name perform many miracles? Then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Then there are two houses. Both might be made of the same material, same general material that we might look at and say, yeah, uh, both those houses, uh, they look from the outside pretty solid, pretty well built. But here's the thing. One of these houses is going to collapse and crush its inhabitants. Its foundation isn't there. One of these ways and paths are going to destroy its followers. One of these trees has fruit that is going to poison its eaters. And Jesus warns us of these. Now, traditionally, we read this and we kind of conclude, hey, these are basically saying that there's two ways. One is live according to the commandments or don't live according to the commandments. But Jesus has already brought up in this sermon that, hey, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And these Pharisees, they follow the rules to the nth degree. Uh, one pastor, he says it like this. The scary thing is that you aren't going to see here are the people who obey God's law, and these are the people who don't. Here's the people who pray, and here's the people who don't pray. Instead, we see you pray like this, but you should pray like this. Not here's the people who give to the poor, and here's the people who don't give to the poor. No, he's saying some people give like this, but I say give like this. He's saying, no, you hear the commandment, thou shalt not murder, and think it just means this. But I say, this is how you obey that commandment. See, Jesus isn't contrasting worldly people with religious people, obvious good and bad. He's actually contrasting groups of people who obey God's law, who are trying to follow the commandments, who both pray, both study the scriptures, both go to church, both give to the poor. And, he's, and yet he's saying that one of these, at the foundational level, the contents of the inside is poisonous, not good. One of these might on the surface look good, and he will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you? Evildoers? You know, these people then weren't correctly following the law, and yet it looked like they were. What's happening is that the first commandment, they're breaking. You should have no other gods before me. Jesus has shown us 
how the Pharisees, with their focus on themselves, doing good for their own glory and benefit, not out of their love and relationship with God, is not good, but poisonous. If that's why we do these things, out of a motivation to boost, to boost their own ego, that reputation and appearance to those around them, they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying that, hey, that's false religion. Loving and giving glory to yourself, ultimately, not God. And Christianity is really, really different. Because you can kind of do all these religious things perfectly. Just perfect to a T. And yet fail. Miss the point. And I think that's a little frightening for us. I think that shows us that we can be doing a lot of work. And if our motivation is off, it's meaningless. And so where does doing good things intersect with being good? What do we need in order to have a righteousness that goes further, goes further, exceeds the extent, of the, the extent of the Pharisees' righteousness, and yet keeps us from becoming conceited, thinking highly of ourselves, keeping our motivation off of us? See, God's grace brings those together. Uh, Dave said in his sermon on Matthew 5 that this kingdom is for those who know they need God. In fact, the requirement for life in the kingdom is knowing you do need God's grace and care. That you're not okay until God's grace breaks in on you. And so knowing that begins to transform us from the inside out. We can be content to be children of God and to rest in that. We don't need any other identity. We need to be just living our lives in right response to God's grace for us and the relationship with God that his grace brings. Focusing on the foundation. That's what our lives should be built on. That's a foundation that won't crumble when times of testing, even death, come. Uh, so what do we make of the two practical points in this text then? Uh, in light of God's grace and Jesus' warnings, what does Jesus say about casting judgment? Um, the first sermon I preached in my preaching class in Divinity School was actually this passage in Matthew 7, 1 to 6. And I held up this massive plank in order to illustrate the ridiculousness of trying to judge a speck of sawdust in someone's eye. You just can't do it when you have a massive plank blocking your vision. Uh, but what exactly does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Is he saying that um, recognizing other people's sin is absolutely prohibited? Is he saying, if you tolerate the sins of others, you'll make it through God's judgment cleanly? Is that what Jesus is saying? Not at all. Uh, now the Pharisees had this sort of attitude that they were better than people. Uh, Jesus gives us a parable in Luke 18 that kind of illustrates the point of view of the Pharisees towards other sinners. Here's what, here's, here it is. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus is saying that when we come to God and before others to deal with sin, we need to come as this tax collector. We need to come recognizing that we are all, every single one of us, sinners. We need to humble ourselves before God and then deal humbly with others, with each other. 
Uh, this doesn't mean we don't see right from wrong in others' lives. Uh, but he says, first take out your own plank, then you can help your brother. So it's not ignoring problems. I mean, right after this, as we read, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Basically saying, be wise and discerning. Don't be naive and think you're winning brownie points. Okay, there's no value to being naive in a sinful world. But rather, when you go to take the speck out of your brother's eye, this is someone who's in the same situation as you, same fallen condition as you, when you go to take the speck out of their eye, first be sure that you've gotten the plank out of your own. And we can help. I know that the goal here is to really help our brothers and sisters live faithfully. So when we've gotten the beam from our own eye, which I might say is, is quite a surgical procedure and requires the humbling hand of God cutting away the plank and cleaning out the dust, then we can help our brother or sister. Then we can say with the proverb, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Then we can go on helping one another toward faithful, loving maturity in a way that shows that God, not our ego or others, is in control of a surgical scalpel. And that way we can trust that the surgeon doing the work is God and not the hands of rough sinners who are quick to cut into others. So how do we do this? First, we need to pray about the situation. Ask God for wisdom. I mean, pray if you should even be the one addressing these issues with your brother or sister. Address your own sin. Address your own sin first. Allow God to, to deal with that in your life. Ask what your motivation is. That's the third point. Is this for the betterment of your brother or sister? Is this to ultimately bring God glory? Or is this really for you, for your own ego or anger to be heard? You know, this verse says that it absolutely cannot be about that. This shouldn't be something we are ever just okay with doing. Uh, this should actually cause us to wrestle and wrestle in prayer. Uh, one person says that, if you don't feel sick about this issue, you probably shouldn't deal with this right now. Um, and the fourth, be sure that what you address is supported in Scripture, supported by God's Word and through carefully thought through wisdom, not just your own opinion. You know, if we're going to be used of God to gently correct, admonish, and rebuke one another, we really need to have first sat under the gracious rebuking and correcting of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're going to be Pharisees. And what's inside, rottenness and poison, that will come when we get the scalpel in our hands. But we're, we are called to encourage one another to live as Jesus calls us to, with gentle critique that is clear, thoughtful, and patient. Now, how do we understand this next passage? Let me read this out. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good give, good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets." Okay, what is Jesus primarily saying here? Is Jesus saying something about prayer? Yes. Is Jesus saying, ask God anything and you'll get it? No. 
What if you ask in great faith, believing you'll receive it? Does that guarantee you'll get it? No, and I don't think that's actually what Jesus is saying here. See, we have to read this chunk of Scripture in light of the therefore, the so in everything that comes in verse 12. Therefore, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So these statements go together. And so what is that saying? Uh, Number one, I think one of the first things it's saying here is God, our good and perfect heavenly Father, delights to give good gifts to those who ask him. So therefore, you be like that. We need God's grace and Holy Spirit to be able to do that, to be good like that. But be like that. But then the question is, uh, when Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you, what are we asking, seeking, and knocking for? Well, we need to read this in relation to what came before it, the whole Sermon on the Mount. And Bible scholar D.A. Carson says that we've seen that life in the kingdom means being poor in spirit, pure in heart, compassionate, having a spirit of non-retaliation, a life of integrity, and really, we lack these things. And so let's ask for them, persistently. D.A. Carson said that this asking and seeking and knocking is with wholehearted pursuit for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And only through this, in prayer, will we find the grace to obey the seemingly impossible demands that the Sermon on the Mount presents. Impossible on our own, but possible with God. We'll come to him, to God, as our father, as his child and live in the relationship with God that his grace brings and in right response to God's grace for us. Now, Jesus' summary of the law and the prophets here, this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that its foundation and roots are in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ, but that that relationship spills out and flows out into the world we live. Um, Rabbi Hillel, uh, he was living, and, and he said this quote, I'm going to quote here, probably around the time when Jesus would have been in his 20s. He said this golden rule, which Jesus might have and likely would have heard. He said this, What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. That is the whole law. All else is explanation. Now, at first, that might seem good. uh, But that's not what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, See, the negative implies the do not do to anyone else, whatever is hateful to you. The negative implies that as long as we keep to ourselves... We can fulfill the law. But that's not true. And Jesus, stating it in the positive, tells us that the kingdom of God is not just off somewhere else doing its own thing, but it exists in the real world and actively cares for others. It makes the world salty and full of light. See, we're called to be salt and light. And what does salt do? I mean, it's a preservative. In the real world, if we're being salty, and I mean this in the biblical way, of course, not the coarse, aggressive way, what does that mean? One pastor says, that means we're doing God's work, working for the good of others in the world, that by seeking justice, loving mercy, caring for the poor and for the environment, we're being salt in a sinful world. But salt also adds flavors to things. And when it adds flavor, salt doesn't really get the praise itself The thing it's adding flavor to or showing that has flavor does. For example, one pastor says that he really likes salt on his corn on the cob. But once he finishes the food, he doesn't go, 
That was some good salt. No. The salt made the food good. The salt helps us see that the food is good. But the glory goes to the food. And so uh, we're called to do unto others as we would have them do to us. And that means being involved in this world to actually live out the love we've received and give glory to God. And this is messy. But Jesus entered into our mess to save us. And so we're called to be in the world, witnessing and pointing people to God. And so what does it mean then to build our lives on Jesus? Bible scholar D.A. Carson says, it is not for nothing that the Sermon on the Mount begins with the demand for poverty of spirit. It begins by demanding that kingdom hopefuls acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy, their need. We're in need. Uh, We have planks in our eyes, and we need to humbly receive God in order to be molded and shaped by him. It was Jesus' death on the cross that made a way for us to have a relationship with God. Without Christ, we were lost. And what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 10 to 12 was true for us. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. Here's Here's what this text says. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one, none of us can stand before God on account of our own deeds. In Isaiah, it says of hypocritical righteousness that it stands like filthy rags before God. Without the Holy Spirit's transforming power, without what Christ has accomplished on the cross, we have no hope of entering the kingdom of God. No amount of good works can earn our salvation. It's a house built on sand. But because of Jesus, we're made new and made alive to the impossible standards, impossible by ourselves, but possible with God, of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 this. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. And so where false religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God, the gospel says, I am accepted by God through Jesus Christ, period. Therefore, I obey. And I'm empowered to do so by God, by his Holy Spirit, and a sanctifying communion, a relationship to him. My sins are forgiven. The foundation, my foundation, is on the rock, and I have reconciliation with God, my Father. And each time I mess up, I humbly come before him. Back to the verse at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which reads, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what? There is gravity in God's grace. There's gravity in God's grace. I think one of the points here in this sermon is that this actually, this whole sermon and the Sermon on the Mount actually really matters to us as believers. An evangelist in Bombay, India, he warned this, hey, don't turn the dangerous God into a safe one. Instead of a God with that burns with fury against hypocrisy, idolatry, and injustice, we can sometimes have a God that turns a blind eye to all of our faults. 
just keeps on loving us with a disinterested air and seems not to care whether we stand out for him or not. You know, there's gravity in God's grace. See, God planned out his, from before it, even, before it ever even happened, he planned sending his son and did absolutely everything he could to save us. Everything. He gave his life for us. And he came and told us what the way of the kingdom looks like. And we can't just dismiss it and hope that everything pans out. God made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And the world needs to hear that message. We need to be able to hear these words and not just go, yeah, yippee, thanks God, that's awesome, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do, keep living my life my way, and hey, I'll give you your due, I'll give to the poor, I'll do good things for people, thanks. No, he calls us to live on mission, to actually be salt and light, to actually seek first the kingdom of God. And so as we grow deep, as we get filled up with this love from God, we need to be sharing that with others that there are two ways. We can't ignore the reality of death and hell. What do we do if we just let the gospel sit surface levels on our hearts? At church, we get, what do we get? We get churches full of people who look like sheep on the outside, but are ravenous wolves, hungry for our own glory, for our own comfort, our own reputation. Not a healthy tree, but one filled with poison. If we're primarily about our own selves and reputation, we might do lots of great things for Jesus. Prophesy in his name. Cast out demons. Do mighty things in Jesus' name. And yet we might be called evildoers. Because the very first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me, was broken. Where we've made ourselves our own God and gone, through, gone on through life doing good things, uh, so that our righteousness might be seen to all and glory be given to us. And that's actually the opposite of what Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, that our light is to shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Or else we might just let the gospel, sharing the gospel in our community slide because it doesn't bring us glory. It brings us flack. The gospel, that we're sinners in need of God's grace, is not popular. And that's a narrow way, a hard road, a road that isn't popular, isn't as well-traveled. You know, in order for us to really be able to humbly judge others, to do unto others that we would have them do to us, we actually need to hear the words in the Sermon on the Mount. Hear the call of our Savior to be poor in spirit, to be merciful even as we receive God's mercy, to be peacemakers to be prepared to be persecuted because of our faith, and yet to love our enemies. To be salt and light. To pray and give and fast in secret for an audience of one. To trust God. To store up treasures in heaven, in kingdom things, not in worldly things. And to deal humbly and gently with one another. And to ask, seek, and knock, earnestly praying to our Heavenly Father, who delights to give us good gifts, to build our lives on Jesus' words. We need to sit at, feet, at Jesus' feet, grow deep with him, and then walk in step with the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. God will take care of us. We don't need to worry about the other stuff. We need God not to get good things for ourselves, but we need God to truly be who we were created to be, to be children of God, and to rest in that.
We don't need any other identity. We need to be just living our lives in right response to God's grace for us and the relationship with God that his grace brings. That's what our lives should be built on. That's a foundation that won't crumble when times of testing, even death, come. And we need to point others to Jesus, our sure foundation, our rock. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, we pray that it might that it might work in our hearts. God, that we might choose to follow the narrow way, not the broad road, to build our lives on your words, not on our own righteousness, to be about your kingdom in this world, even when it's not popular. Help us to share the love that you give with the people in our lives who we love and care for. God, may your word sink deep into our heart and make us more and more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.